Welcome to the Extra Podcast, a production of Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Your hosts, Jeff, Ezra, and Thalia, will be discussing the Bible, relevant issues, and current events each week. At Northview, we love to study God's Word and discuss how it applies to our lives, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So feel free to laugh with us and at us as we try to challenge and encourage you in your faith. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our extra podcast. My name is Thalia. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I am sitting with Jeff. Hi, Thalia. And Ezra. Hey, Thalia. <laughs> and we have a guest with us today who's also producing our podcast. Hey, Freddie. Hello. Freddie, what do you do here? I am an immersed intern. Nice. Man, you're smiling so broadly. <laughs> is it because so I'm sitting right across back. from no, you? No, I'm just excited to be back. I wanted oh. to be on here so badly. I've begged and begged and begged, and but they, they finally let me. They, they didn't allow you? Why? <laughs> I think, well, People, people don't want the Fred. People want more Ezra, <laughs> more Jeff, a lot more Thalia. She's they want easily more e- the most loved. Ezra? Ezra? Ezra. Oh, okay. Ezzy. I don't know what they call you. Yeah, Ezzy's better. So we normally start with Tweet of the Week, but I realized that this is our fourth week in as a team. I have no idea what you guys think of Twitter. I don't know if you have a Ooh, Twitter so account. talking about a tweet, we're talking yeah. about Twitter. Yeah. A, do you tweet? I don't know. I think our listeners want to know. So, Jeff, do you have a Twitter account? I do have a Twitter account, yeah. I use it mostly to follow other things, though. Okay. And I like the real-time news. Oh, yeah. Right. So I like hearing about someone's perspective on a thing the moment it happens. And yeah. some, I, some of the things that my kids are involved in, like the baseball and stuff, that uh, the only way they communicate is through Twitter these days. Okay. So, yeah. That's, what, that's why I use it. I don't tweet much. I only tweet jokes. Okay. Ezra, do you tweet? No, I don't tweet. I have a Twitter account as well, but just like Jeff, I'm just following. For me, I follow global news. So when things are happening real time, this is happening. It's fun to watch like the sports. If the sports Mm -hmm. are falling apart, yeah, or something bad happens, like somebody doesn't make a a crucial call in the last moments of an NFC Championship game in football, it's fun to follow how people are losing their minds. It's over (laughs) truly terrible calls. Yeah, but it's basically just like watching uh, a train wreck happen. Oh, it it, totally is. That's the entertainment value in it. But other people really, other people love Twitter because they feel like they can engage. It's the way that the culture these days engages in significant uh, thought. Well, in 250 whatever characters. Yeah, but that's a challenge, right? I mean, it might be it might be the way that we we like like our our marketplace now of ideas. Mm-hmm. But it's so limited in what it can can, can convey. Yeah. Freddie, so, you have a Twitter account? I do not. I am a second-hand consumer, so I have a friend who I work with who sits at the desk desk next to me and he loves Twitter. Okay. So Colin will take delicious tweets and show them to me just to make me mad. <laughs> yeah. So it's not good for my sanctification. He likes to follow a lot of people who are authors because he's a, he's a big time reader. And then they'll post stuff about what they're learning or what they're, what they're studying. And a lot of his stuff is, is theological. And then he'll post stuff that I strongly disagree with. And that is worded very poorly <laughs> to make it just prime for people to get mad about. So uh-huh. then he'll show me threads of someone saying something outlandish and frankly heretical. And then, other people Freak, blasting them and then people yeah. blasting the people who blasted them for being unloving yeah. and then people blasting the people who blasted them for being unloving for not wanting to call out truth or untruth when they see it. What did and you call it, Jeff? Terrible. It's, drive, it's just a bunch of little drive-by shootings. That's yeah. exactly, that's a great way it rewards, to think of it. It rewards mm-hmm. uh, zingers. It, re- it rewards the, the pithiest person. So if you're, 
if you're really good at put downs, if you're really good at like that kind of those kind of where you're a kid, I'm you very know? good at those. Well, you know how you have used to get in a disagreement with some kid in your science class or mm-hmm. your football team or whatever. You're this, and then well, yeah, well, if I'm that, then you're this. Like you get in yeah. this put down battles. That's what basically Twitter is. It's just this adult version of the grade seven put down battle but from behind a keyboard so you can be a little bit more spicy some people <laughs> have significant things to say but they're not they're not even they're just little pithy quotes i mean i follow a tim keller site and i have all sorts of time for tim keller but after a while it he, it reads his little i don't think he does it somebody must do it for him yeah after a while it just reads like he's he's you know confucius <laughs> giving out some totally. some wisdom Yikes. every that's just these little pithy quotes and it's like well i suppose that's that's what twitter's for like and, a little fortune cookies well at there's the always Chinese somebody that's right because you can't nuance an argument in 240 characters or whatever it is there's always somebody who comes along and is like really really what about this other important side that you've left out in your 240 like characters Trump. that's right and oh, you're man. like come on <laughs> right it's what do you expect them to do? Give you a nuanced argument yeah. in the whole or, thing? Then because they didn't nuance right. it, somebody else has to come along and defend them. And that's then they right. Defend, everybody takes their sides up and they start lobbing verbal no, but bombs sometimes at each other. People will post like links to check out this blog I wrote about it. And I'm like, no one's going to look. You, don't, you think you're making your argument, but you're not. No one, no one cares. <laughs> okay, let's wrap it up. That's good. Next week I'll come up with a zinger tweet you can comment on. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. So we have a really interesting topic today for us, the four of us to chew on. I want us to talk about deliverance ministry and satanic oppression and demonic attacks and all kinds of stuff like that. So the reason I brought it up is um, pr- fairly often we have at church people who come by who are struggling with something significant, particularly with a mental health challenge, anxiety and depression. And if it gets significant enough, that person who's suffering or struggling or their loved one starts to wonder if maybe Satan has a role here. Mm. Then they contact the church and they're like, what do we do if we think maybe Satan is causing an oppression or an attack or whatever language they use? So Ezra is my go-to. Ezra is <laughs> the one I'm like, what? Let's talk to Ezra. Oh boy. Why, Ezra? What's your background? Uh, actually, I mean, I grew up in Africa. So uh, in Africa, you will see a lot of uh, demonic activity firsthand, depending on what part of Africa you go to. So if you go into the country, you will see a lot of people with the African religion. So they will obviously petition the gods and a lot of demonic. You'll go to the witch doctor who will do his chanting and his little dance and slaughter the chicken and do whatever with its blood kind of thing. Summoning you have the family members who yes, I do. are involved in the, that Absolutely. kind of animistic worship. Absolutely. So based on the fact that I grew up in Africa and I'm somewhat familiar with uh, this topic, so a lot of people would, uh, first of all, r- ask my opinions mm-hmm. regarding this. So, yeah. So I often get Ezra involved to meet with the person who is suffering in this way and their family members. And often Ezra will be joined by an elder or two or three and a pastor or a couple of lay people, which is great. I really appreciate that, Ezra. When, when you say they join join you, is it so you're, somebody calls you on the telephone mm-hmm. or visits you or emails you, and yep. then they say, can you come and visit us in our home? Yeah. Uh, they might say, my, my daughter is suffering from this particular thing. And yep. they, they think in their mind that the solution to the problem is for her to be pray, prayed over yeah. so that a, de- a demon either could be cast out of her, you yeah. know, like the Jesus at the Gerasenes and all yeah. that kind of stuff, or 
that she would be delivered from from the um, from from the uh, n- not possession but oppression, oppression. of yeah. a demon. So let's talk about those terms. So what first of well, all hold is on. so okay. when they call you, they end up coming. So you you will take a team of people over to their house sometime, yep. and that what what that means is that you go over and you and you lay hands on them, the person. And, and you pray them. for them. Mm-hmm. Although I've been asked before on some occasions, I'm just trying to give people an idea of yeah. the kind of stuff that we're talking about here. Yeah. I've been asked before to go over to someone's house and pray through each room, yep. which uh, is is largely due to the person having a belief about territorial spirits. They believe that there are uh, uh, certain spirits that inhabit different places yeah. and that in order to have the house be sanctified or set apart, they'll ask pastors or some others mm-hmm. to come over and do it. So all this is part of deliverance ministry. There right. are those who believe that this shouldn't be just something that is um, asked of church leaders to come and do just like ad hoc, meaning like just from time to time when it kind of rears its head. But there are people who believe that uh, this kind of ministry, deliverance, is what every every Christian needs. So, so and Thalia, every church should right. So Thalia comes to faith in Jesus. The first thing that we should do is we should put her through deliverance ministry yeah. so that we can cast out all the demons out. And of her. do the deliverance ministry training, hmm. which happens at the church. And there should be an official deliverance ministry. And people wonder why don't we at Northview right. have an official deliverance ministry? So this is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. This this whole this whole realm. Right. Yeah. So maybe let's talk about what is deliverance. What are they expecting when people ask for that word? Well, they're expecting that they believe that there's somehow demonic activity. And so like the language that we just brought up a second ago that you wanted clarification was, is that if they're not a believer, the, the term that's usually used is that they're possessed. Yeah. Uh, and they, by the way, somebody can go to church for years and years and still be possessed. That doesn't mean that if they're not a genuine Christian. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a belief in possession and then but then there's also I think commonly these days that there's a belief that demons can oppress yeah a person so uh, can a Christian a true believer be possessed is a question I get sometimes well I think that's that's why people bring up that language of uh, oppression is because the belief is is no that the Holy Spirit once he you know the Holy Spirit is is a greedy is a greedy housekeeper yeah mm-hmm. right he he doesn't he doesn't invite guests in yeah. So that that tends to be the viewpoint. I mean, I think it's a. I, I tend to hold that viewpoint as well. Is that for the Holy Spirit to indwell you doesn't mean that Satan can indwell you as as well. I think that demonic possession would be a sign that somebody is not a genuine believer. Right. I think as is that. I would. I would. You guys I would, would concur exactly with what Jeff has said here. Possession is when this uh, this evil spirit actually lives, resides in you, yeah. controls you, and does. His business through you. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Jesus casts out the exa- examples. Jesus casts out demons out of uh, a person and casts them into pigs. Right. Yeah. Right. That person that, we, that we, what we believe about that person is that they weren't a genuine Christian. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and the possession would occur in different degrees. There's some who would be totally, totally taken over, mm-hmm. where they have absolutely no control over their body. But then there are those who it, there's a possession, but the spirit takes a really backseat, so they can go, they can function normally. You would not even know until manifestations begin to occur during certain times of the day or certain times of the season and things like that. So yeah, it all depends. Let's depends. talk about that. Yeah. What mm-hmm. does it look like for someone to be oppressed? Like, give, let's give talk about 
What are some signs that you've seen, Ezra, people who've been oppressed? So you're using the language of oppression. So somebody yeah. who's, a, who's a believer. Who's a believer. Well, I'll throw it. We can go okay, back so, and forth. So wait, 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 wait. So you're asking for uh, signs that uh, of demonic activity in the life of, uh, of, a, Christian. Life of a Christian that some, okay. somebody well, that they, maybe are, that they should... are being plagued perhaps or oppressed or mm -hmm. so maybe I should clarify a little bit because mm -hmm. people come with maybe this question because there's a significant mental health challenge like a depression mm -hmm. and they've done medication and they've mm -hmm. done doctors and they've even been to the psych unit and they've had every possible kind of counseling and treatment and nothing is changing and so then they start to wonder maybe there's a spiritual component here right well, I would think that there is a spiritual component. The question that should be asked is, what's the solution to the spiritual component, right. okay? Yeah. So, like, I I really want to make that distinction. Mm -hmm. Just because you might believe that there might be demonic activity involved in a particular thing, which, is, just so you know, I believe that there's demonic activity in all sorts of stuff, Yeah. right? I, this is one of the challenges, I think, living in the, in, the, in the West, is that we are largely naturalistic in our worldview, which means that we only believe in the physical stuff. And so a spiritual world is something that's so alien to us that yeah. we, don't, we don't ever think about it. Mm -hmm. So we don't think about stuff like the nature of the soul, because it's immaterial. I know way more about the nature of the body yeah. than I do about the nature of the soul. And mm -hmm. modern people don't ask questions about the nature of the soul, the nature of demons or angels, right? Or even the nature of God. We don't think about anything immaterial. We're very tactile. Right. Very happy to deal with those sorts of things. Yeah. Whereas the Bible doesn't really exist. It doesn't really reflect our worldview. Yeah. It actually is far more akin to what Ezra's worldview would be, mm -hmm. which is, no, there's physical things in the world, but then there's also these non-physical things. The spiritual realm. So, but, but my point is that just because there are... One of the temptations people have is that they end up saying, well, there's some, see, there's this non-physical stuff. That means that the only way you deal with non-physical stuff is through prayer and casting them out. So if there's a demon involved, the solution is to cast the demon out. I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. In some cases, yes, but you see lots of ways that the Apostle Paul is dealing with, with a ministry around his region. It's not actually that common that you read in the book of Acts that he's casting out tons and tons of demons out of everybody he meets. No, I would say this. I think um, a lot of theologians, so for example, uh, an example would be J.I. Packer. If you read him, if you read him on this issue of uh, demonic activity, demonic oppression, uh, he would argue to say from his understanding from biblical texts, you will see a significant uh, demonic activity during the times of Jesus's earthly ministry. Uh, so you read the Gospels, you see a lot, way more demonic activity then than you would see in the Old Testament, and that you will see even after uh, the ascension of Christ and the, the, the beginning of the early church. You'll see a little bit in the book of Acts, but not as much as you would, as much as we did see or see in the Gospels during the t ministry of Jesus. So the point here being, uh, uh, Packer's point here being that uh, Satan... Is, was obviously opposing the Son of God and trying to diminish his work or his ministry because Satan did recognize who Jesus was. Even the spirits were saying, hey, we know you who you are, we know who you are, you're the Son of God, the Son of God, where then Jesus would command and say, hey, be quiet, and they would. Um, 
So now in, in today's world, how I would approach uh, someone who comes to me and saying that they believe this demonic activity is I would begin with the theological framework first. Like what framework are you working with? So I would walk them through just to show for a Christian, uh, obviously a demon cannot possess you. The demon can oppress you. So frustrate plans, bring disease. We see Job and everything that Satan did to Job uh, there was a limit to what Satan was allowed to do to Job. So what was Satan doing there? He was oppressing, not possessing Job. But at the same time, too, where is God in the entire picture? Here we see God is the one who permits Satan, gives Satan, a, puts a leash on Satan and says, you can only do this, this, and this. This is your sandbox, mm-hmm. not beyond. There's some yeah. place in the middle of two extremes here that we we need to embrace. One, one of the extremes is that Satan is behind every bush, that every single thing that happens is actually demonic and involved and yet I'm willing to say, no, there, in some ways the fallen world, yes, is, the, is Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of his work, and those who are the sons of disobedience. That's from Ephesians 2. So there, there are, yes, sa- Satan has a kind of rulership over the present world, although Jesus has won the final victory and it's being worked out in our time. Right. So, I, I, so we, we want to say that Satan's very involved, but not behind every—there there are, as you said, Thalia, there are mental— uh, it, being part of a fallen world also means having our bodies broken and our minds broken yeah. and all sorts of challenges. So People forget that, that our brain is right. part of our physical body and our brain can be sick just like our rest of our body right. can be sick. The other the other extreme, of course, is to say that there is Satan's not involved in anything, which is the more naturalist thing. Oh, there's yeah. no mm-hmm. material world. But, but between those two extremes, Satan's not involved in anything and Satan's involved in everything, uh, between those two extremes, there is, there is a healthy recognition that we, we live in a world that's physical and non-physical with beings that are physical and non-physical, that yeah. there is a spiritual battle taking place, yeah. that Christians are actually called to fight that battle. But I would say that most of the spiritual warfare that's mentioned in the Bible actually has to do with the mind, with mm-hmm. embracing certain ideas or not certain ideas. Yeah, Does second that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, so in the end, uh, you know, we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And mm-hmm. so in the end... What we should be talking about then, when we talk about deliverance ministry, mm-hmm. what we're talking about is sh- should be, well, how should we respond to the reality that there are there are involvement of demons in 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 angels in our lives? Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, is the solution to the to, to de- demonic oppression a power encounter? You know, a power encounter. Mm-hmm. Like, I do. Get mm-hmm. out. You know, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Jesus said, or 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 a power encounter like. Paul has with uh, with a girl who's following around in Philippi in Acts 16, and he finally just turns around and says, "Get out of her!" Like so that there's a power encounter. Is that the way that we should we should engage people in the fallen world? And I think my argument, just to lay it out, is actually uh, only sparingly, and that's because Satan has lots of different strategies that he's employing. I actually think that's interesting. Ezra said just a second ago that in Africa, when you go into the villages. You find far more of this, but you get into the cities and you don't find it as much. And I would argue that doesn't mean that Satan's not involved in the cities. It's just that, you know, like the He's gods involved of, differently. Well, the gods of money and pleasure yep. and all those sorts of things yeah. have have far more success yeah. than the power encounters do oftentimes in right. the in the villages. And so yeah. But I would even say I would even say the there is a power and a power encounter 
when you're trying to transform or change someone's worldview, when you're changing them from their love of money, challenging their love of money or their love of sex and passions or their love for whatever it is that they're pursuing, whatever it is that they want, whatever it is that they're, they're anchoring their entire hopes on and telling them, no, that, that thing will not give you the joy and satisfaction that you're seeking. Only God can. Right. So and that's spiritual warfare. Right there. But spiritual warfare can take the form of a yeah. power encounter, which is yes. direct power against power. Exorcism you get out of kind exorcism of type yeah. stuff. But it also takes the form of teaching. Yes. And to be honest with you, I think most of us pastors are proclaiming the gospel and teaching them to obey all that I commanded you, as Jesus said. We're involved in power. We're involved in spiritual warfare mm-hmm. right. in that regard because Satan... And his minions are trying to convince you that what we're saying is not true. They're trying to cast doubt in your mind regarding what you b- should believe about yourself in, yeah. in God's right. eyes and all mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Those are the lies that Satan tells. And that's it has tremendous, tremendous power over people. But as the, the means, the yeah. way that we should be solving the problem of demonic right. activity in our lives is right. sometimes power encounter. Yes. And oftentimes, but more oftentimes, just teaching. Yes. And there's a huge component of what role does unrepentant sin play? Mm. So a huge part of combating demonic activity is to repent of sin and say, I'm giving up the things that we hold so closely, all yeah. of our addictions to various things. I would say, yes, there is the repenting the repenting of sin, but the putting to death, the yeah. putting to death the deeds of the flesh. See, yeah. that's where the fight is. Because it's one thing for me to say, yeah, I repent of my my lying, yeah. or my envy, or Pornography is a big one. Huh? Pornography is yeah. a big one. Or, 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 or I repent of my viewing of pornography and my lust. But then there is the repenting, but then there is the actually putting to death yeah. that and putting things in my yeah. life well, this that is will all, this my point. Me. This is all spiritual warfare, right. and this right. is the nuts and bolts and yes. bread and butter yes. of Christian sanctification. Right. This is a Christian li- living. Right. Yes. That's what Ezra's describing right, right now. So, but there are those around us mm-hmm. who are relatively adamant that the approach that we should be taking is far more showy and power encountery. And I think that's where I, I get a little bit, I, I, on certain occasions, yes, but I want to expand people's thinking regarding, uh, regarding spiritual warfare to not just reduce it down to power encounters, but to broaden it and say, actually, we're doing, we're doing spiritual warfare whenever we read scripture and apply it to our, our lives. We are actually, I mean, I think about the way that the Bible's, the way that Paul writes in Ephesians 6, for example, right? Where he says, he says, stand firm, therefore. Mm-hmm. Well, just think about that image for a minute. You're supposed to actually stand firm with a shield, right? And, and, a, and a sword. That, that means that you are, you are the one who has the ground. Do you understand? Right. That's why you stand. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say go forward and assault the enemy. You stand and you repel the arrows of the evil one who's yeah. shooting them at you. And so in the end, for Paul, a good chunk of spiritual warfare involves the, the, the reminding of yourself, uh, uh, who you are in Christ, right? Belt, belt of truth and all, like, all, of the, all of these kinds of things. So you stand firm in what it is that yeah. you believe and who you are at the present moment. Do you understand what yeah, I'm saying? There, there, are, there are two, 
there are people who maybe even are listening, depending on what uh, church background you come from. So there's some who would come and say, actually, there are two kinds of deliverance ministries that need to occur in a church. There's the exorcism, the power encounter stuff, where Satan is oppressing you, whatever. But then there is one where you've become a Christian, Jeff, and say, maybe in your former life, you used to... In- engage in the occult in the whatever or you used to have a huge sinful thing maybe you are drunk and and you're still struggling with the bottle and things like that so you come to saving faith um you may still struggle with with the desire to to have a drink or whatever so the the push then would be northview should have a ministry that will help you brother uh, overcome your drunkenness or your unforgiveness or whatever or your mm-hmm. porn addiction we should have a ministry where you should come, people pray for you, you walk through different steps, that kind of thing, so that you may be delivered over, off of that spirit, that lying spirit or that spirit of pornography yeah. or whatever it is. To which I argue and I say, actually, one, show me the biblical text where these things actually happen. And secondly, what do you do with Second Corinthians 5.17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So... So you're tying that to the belief that people often have that they'll say, I have generational sin coming down. And that's another, that's mm-hmm. another element into that too. So, so this is my, this is my, my, here's my, Ezra and I are agreeing with this. So I'll try to summarize as clearly as I can my, my, my take on it. You have everything you need in Jesus. Yeah. And when you come to faith Amen. in Christ, you have everything, you have everything you need in Jesus. Unfortunately, so many of these ministries start saying that, yeah, no, you need Jesus, plus you need to go through this other mm-hmm. stuff in order to rid yourself from what mm-hmm. you formerly were. Uh, I, I would say, yes, there are some cases in the New Testament where people like bring their, they, they bring their idols and others. So that's a sign of somebody who is a syncretist, right? They're, they're worshiping two different things, committing themselves fully to the person of Jesus Christ. That, to me, that's just, that's just repentance. We come to faith yeah. in Christ genuinely we turn over our lives to Jesus in increasingly places increasing places but you don't really find any command telling us that the chief problem that we Christians have is demonic oppression and that the job of Christian sanctification or pastors leading you in the Christian life is that we need to cast out the demons in your life or get you to repent so that they come out of you that's the language well, because people want I, a recipe to follow. Right, but I... They want to say, I want to do step one, two, three, mm-hmm. and on, and then the demons will come out, and then I'll be fine. No, but that's the thing. It's a microwave, like, quick fix yeah. immediately. Unfortunately, if maybe not unfortunately, but fortunately, the most Christian sanctification, Christian, the Christian life, is a long, steady race, baby. Yeah. And it is it const- constantly... And you will oftentimes struggle with some things that you struggle with a good chunk of your life. but. Yep. The goal is increasingly as you as you come to as you as you are involved in the, what we call the means of grace, or you go to church and you, you're involved in the Christian community and you read your Bible and you spend time in prayer and these things that God is using those things to sanctify you, yeah, right. And over time, you 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 increasingly see more victory. Not always. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you slip back and forth, but this is the normal Christian life. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, you 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 are you are taken by. But Christ will complete his work of holiness in you and present you what without blemish is the right. language in the scriptures. But the normal Christian life is about sim- basic stuff about learning to obey all that he commanded you and repent, regular repentance yeah. and faith. There's not a lot of instruction given to us 
hey, go and go and cast out these particular demons. Now, with that said, I think that there are some examples where we that is going to have ha- going to happen. Yeah, where we are going to come and pray, and a, a, you know, there'll be a manifestation of some sort of demonic right. presence in those circumstances. Yes, now we're in a power encounter. So let's right. talk about what that looks like. Ezra, you've been part of a number of these meetings in people's homes with a few elders and a few maybe community group leaders and people. What what happens at these kind of meetings so that people, our listeners, know what to expect if they would ask this? Yeah, so I've had the opportunity to go to different homes uh, where someone believes that either it could be a loved one who believes that this person has a demonic stuff happening or the person themselves believes that, hey, there's a demonic thing happening in my life. So we would go to the home, and the first thing I would do, first of all, is just to to bring the scriptures uh, before the person and just say, hey, let's first talk about what the scriptures say about Satan, about demons, their existence, and their power over you, dear Christian. And I think that's... Or lack thereof. Or or lack thereof. That's your point. Right. So uh, God, in his sovereign grace and mercy, has chosen to hold Satan back. So in other words, what Luther would say, you know, Satan is God's little devil. So in other Mm -hmm. words, Satan cannot do anything that God does not permit him to do, particularly to a Christian. Therefore, we create a theological framework from which we begin to work. So Mm -hmm. once I've already clarified that... and that teaching right there is, sorry to interject, it is part of the spiritual warfare. Right. It's huge. Yes. It's reminding, be who you are. What Ezra's doing is saying, this this is who you are Mm -hmm. in Christ. Mm -hmm. So now the rest of it is, okay, be who you are. Right. Yes. Be who you are, and let me tell you who God is in the midst of this fight. Then after that, um, depending on how many people we are, we would now begin to pray over the person. And again, it's the same prayer you would receive if you came to the elders meeting, if you wanted prayer for a family member or illness or whatever. So we would pray for the person and just pray into the areas which the person mentioned. So what what's the issue here? What are you struggling? So we pray and ask Christ to grant this person victory or mercy, relief, whatever the request would be so that this person can actually continue to be a faithful Christian. Now, we also would pray that God would accomplish his purposes through this person's difficulty, because yeah. sometimes, yes, we may be feeling like we're bearing a cross here, like this is so hard, but maybe that is God's sanctifying work in your life. Paul, Paul was given a yeah. thorn in the flesh, which he called was a messenger of Satan to torment him, right? and that God did not remove it. So he right. could say that my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah. Exactly. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So right there, Paul could have easily yep. said, hey, let's have a power cast encounter. Let's, let's cast this right. thing out. Let's, let's do deliverance. Well, maybe he did. He, they'd pled with the Lord. He said, I yeah. pled with the Lord three times right. to take it away from right. me. Right. But, but the Lord chose in his mercy and grace, right. chose to leave it there. But he's still sovereign. That's the whole point exactly. of that. He's still sovereign. He has means right. yeah. and purposes for you. Right. If, if your life is going to be, if your race in front of you right now is going to be a hill, and the Lord wants you to run the hill, He's got reasons for running the hill. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? But we, we don't want the hill, man. We just right. want the wind at our backs all the time. So I think for us, and, and my, my main goal is always to encourage the families and the individual in question, as they suffer, think theologically as you go through your suffering, realizing that God is sovereign and the Lord is the one who is, should I say, allowing 
mm-hmm. the suffering to happen. Yeah. So he will accomplish his purposes. And so we well, pray for it's grace. It's through the suffering that you and I, it's through, it's through, so you know, like this is the way that God chose. He brings glory through suffering, right? Mm-hmm. This is how he, how he throned Christ at the right end of the throne of God. Right. Was through suffering. Right. And that's the way, that's the way it works, mm-hmm. right? It's the way it works for Christian pastors. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. want to see great things happen, suffer. It's mm-hmm. going to suffer. It's going to be the product, ultimately, of suffering. It's just the way that the system works. If you want to see in your life good things, that there's going to be suffering, and then it will yield its fruit right? in in, in the proper season. Listen, I have a couple of quick, like, bullets questions for you, Ezra. Sure, go okay. ahead. Uh, so would you do, do you, do you believe that we should be shouting when we pray? Do you care? Shouting? Yeah, so, like, we're going to get involved in this prayer, so we're going to raise our voice and start sh- shouting and addressing... I've Satan. never heard Ezra shouting. Yeah, no, I don't <laughs> think. I don't why think. Not? Yeah, why would I shout? Because again, the the a lot of people who are engaged in um, del- deliverance ministry, particularly those who shout, sometimes believe that they have authority now to speak to the spirit that has possessed the individual. Therefore, they are shouting at at the spirit. Nowhere in scripture, nowhere in scripture do we do we find this evidence that we need to be engaging in a dialogue with a spirit that is in someone or a spirit that is... That is well, you um, see Jesus addressing someone. Yes, but that's Jesus. Jesus himself taught his disciples to pray, and at the end of the prayer says, Lord, ask your Father, you know, deliver us from the evil one. Mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't command his disciples so to you begin... Pray, so you to pray to God. To, hmm, you, you pray to you God, pray yes. To God. You pray to God, and right. you say, Lord, this is, the, this is the providence that I'm in right now. Okay. Yeah. So, you're not Lord, chanting, would you deliver you're not me? yelling. You're not yelling. Why well, are you yelling? W- would you, uh, would you pray? So if somebody invites you to their house and they're going to, I want you to pray over these different rooms. Would you, would you go and pray over the different rooms in the house? No, I would pray over the person. <laughs> because, again, I'd pray over the person and I'd just say, hey, Lord, would you grant this person peace even in this house? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily praying over the house because, again, I'm not praying over an object. I'm praying for the person who lives there. Yeah. So uh, the same way we would pray for Canada, our country. You say, Lord, would you grant us peace as a nation? Or would you grant us grace as a nation? But are we now going to every single corner of Canada and touching every single corner? No. But we would say, hey, you know. You wouldn't be bothered if somebody was praying over an area. They could pray for prayer no, walk I, I, and they pray I, I over wouldn't, an area. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. However, however, those people who believe in territorial spirits are now That's going to the concern. book. That's your concern. Yeah. They're going to the book of Daniel and they're seeing what this angel in Daniel 10 tells Daniel. That this angel now is coming and saying, hey, you know, there is this prince of a Parja, this prince of a, this area who's going to come, and this one who stopped me from coming. So, in other words, there are certain territorial spirits whom we have to pray against because they are the ones who are holding the spirit or holding back our prayers. Because Daniel prayed, three weeks later the answer comes, why was it delayed? Oh, because it was this spirit who held me back. This is what the angel tells Daniel in Daniel 10. So the belief then is Satan has these power spirits who are holding back God's answers to us, and therefore we need to pray against them so that the answers could come quickly that we may be delivered. See, so again, all that theology like is formed. No, I don't. You don't like your Bible. <laughs> I, I, I don't like, because again, yes, we are given a small little glimpse of what's happening in the spirit world, but we are not instructed in the scriptures how to deal with that. All we are told is, hey, just pray to the Father that he may deliver you from the evil one. That's, that's it. That's See. kind of a relief, actually. Yeah, because there... that, it feels like, oh, phew, I don't have to memorize all these incantations. I don't have to worry about what Satan's doing. I can right. simply go to my heavenly Father and say, 
Could you deal with it for me? And and to boot, to boot, one of the things that we forget, like Jeff said at the very beginning of the podcast, when someone becomes a Christian, the Spirit of God comes and dwells in you. Yeah. So just think about it. The Spirit of God comes and dwells in you. Now, because we are Trinitarian, we believe that, hey, the fullness of God now is there with you. Father, Son, Spirit. That's a relief. So the question then becomes... If the Spirit of God lives in your heart and he is sovereign, meticulously sovereign, and yes, Satan comes and begins to oppress you, brings difficulty, struggle, disease, whatever he does, the Lord still lives Yeah, and those heart. things that are happening are actually, I mean, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. That's, that's right. the language of William Cooper and right. his old hymn. Right. That essentially, that even though these things are happening, God... As you said before, Luther, he's still God's devil. Yes, that he that, is. that that even those things, these things, wicked as they are and bad as they are, mm-hmm. are happening. Uh, we should not view the world as being a, a, like an even fight between the forces of good, God being on one side, and the forces of evil, Satan no. on the other. It's not a fair fight, man. No, it's not. Like God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are are in control of all the stuff. If if they give Satan permission, it's for their sovereign purposes. Yes. And they will achieve... And for out, your ultimate good. Right. They will achieve out of that yes. your good and ultimately... Yes. His the, glory. The, his glory. Yes. Ezra, talk to mm. us a little bit about um, anointing with oil and the purpose of that. Basically, this is a command out of James 5, where is anyone of you sick, then he should call the elders, and the elders will anoint you anoint with oil and pray for you. I think the anointing of oil is a sign that they're basically, uh, should I say, I I want to say inviting, but should I say just... They're giving you over. It's a symbolic sign that they are are giving you over to the Spirit Spirit of God to to Because in the Old Testament, the oil was a a symbol Mm -hmm. for the Spirit. Right. So basically, it's in obedience to James 5, where you're asking the elders to come and to pray over you. And by the way, a lot of people think that, hey, you know, having just a bunch of guys coming to pray for you, ah, what does that mean? But the elders in God's church have significant authority mm-hmm. in God's eyes. Yeah. So God has appointed the elders of, 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 the, of the local church and granted them grace to continue providing leadership and guidance to, to the church, the bride of Christ. And therefore, when they are praying, obviously, the Lord's heart is there. So anytime when the elders come and tell an individual in the church, you know, brother or sister, you should not do this or you should not do that, you scorn that advice, you're basically scorning Jesus. What you do to the church, the elders, you're doing to Christ directly. And this there's a danger there which a lot of people don't even realize. Listen to you with... Uh high view of the offices of the church. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, brother. It's a little self-serving, don't you think, Ezra? <laughs> Why? You know what I mean? Well, you're a pastor. <laughs> you better listen to me. Or... You're, listening you're to right, God. though. No, seriously, it's one of the things a lot of people, like, we, we tend to hold the, this is a bit, this is an aside, but we tend to hold the government of our land in high esteem, right? Even if you don't like the prime minister, you hold the government and its power in high esteem. So if there's a problem in your life, you will end up going to the government because you say they can get something done. Yeah. Right? right? And if I know somebody in the government, they can they can get something done that quite quite honestly God's the elders in God's church are God's God's government, government in mm-hmm. at least in in spiritual issues and in so in, so in 
so in the end, when you go to them, you, you, you are, they are the ones who God has appointed to achieve certain things and to speak on his behalf in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean everything they say is always true. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's, it's wrong and it should be resisted because it's sinful, right? They're yeah. sinning against mm-hmm. this particular person. But as a general rule, when the elders of a church end up agreeing upon a particular matter spiritually, that, that, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's in Matthew right. 18. That's essentially that what he's is, saying. Whatever two or three yep. gathered, mm-hmm. there I am in their midst. In other words, mm-hmm. like when these guys, the church gets together and the official, you know, the officiants or the, the official offices of the church, they all agree on a particular matter. Don't pretend that, that I'm not. Right. I'm not. I'm not there with them. That I'm on the side of the one who is, who's not in the church. That no. In fact, actually, I'm. This is the means by which I've chosen to work. Right. So, it's a high view of the, of yeah, the church so and we, its authority. We anoint oil because, again, we're just praying and asking the Lord to have mercy and grace over the person who's struggling. So, as we wrap up and we think about people wanting to come and meet with the elders for prayer, tell us a little bit, Ezra, about what that looks like here at Northview. So here at Northview, it's very simple. All you do is you could uh, either call the front desk at our church or you can send an email to to our church and just say, hey, you know what, I have this need and I'd love the elders to pray for me. So you'll be told when the elders' uh, next gathering is and uh, what time you need to show up. It's usually 6 o'clock, the third the third Tuesday of every month is when they meet. If you contact the office, so just contact the office. So yeah, yeah. I think it's just. I actually think it. Won't, you can do it. At, you can send it to prayer at northview.org. Yes, prayer at northview.org. Or, yeah, get to the right spot. Exactly. And so one, oh, once once you're told when and where the elders are meeting, you just show up. You and your loved ones, who someone who may uh, you may want there to support you. And then uh, you'll be shown where the elders are. You'll go, you'll sit down, and then you just share what your need is. And you will find some dear Christian brothers. Our elders are dear Christian brothers. They'll be more than happy to spend some time praying for you. It's the best part of our meetings. Yeah. And And we usually divide into several groups because there's quite a few people Mm -hmm. who come for prayer. Right. So that's kind of good. You're not faced with, what is it, 15, 20 elders? (laughs) You have a small group of elders. And And there have been people who have felt a little bit intimidated to say, oh my, I don't want to bring such a big group. That's totally fine. We can just bring two or three and move you to the side and you can share your need. It's the same thing. Just crying out to the Lord on your behalf and anointing me oil in obedience to James 5. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for listening to us and we'll see you again next week.